0: Uh, but today, I'm going to uh, talk primarily about when it comes to winning at life, what's the best way to win life, how do we win at life. I think one of the very uh, most impactful elements or characteristics or tools that will help us win at life is attitude. I think that attitude is everything. In fact, if I had a title for today's message, it would be that exactly. If there was one thing you remembered from today, it would be this, attitude is everything look at your neighbor upside the head and say attitude is everything attitude is everything we live in a world where culturally bad attitudes are okay uh it's not uh, uncommon for us to find someone in the world uh that uh has a bad attitude or is a little bit crusty right how many of you guys know somebody crusty in your life don't point any fingers Uh, I think the kids call it salty these days, right? We know some people are salty. They just, they got that salty taste in their mouth or whatever. Um, It's one of those things where that having a bad attitude is all right. But I think sometimes bad attitudes, I think our attitudes and the negative attitudes we can have can keep us from being able to experience the win in our life that we need to experience. It can be, it can get us stuck in that loss. Negative thinking. Right, we know people that are, or maybe we are, uh, can even point our fingers at our own self and say that we've been responsible for thinking negatively about things, always assuming the worst, uh, being being critical. We all have outlaw, I mean in-laws in our lives that have been critical of us in the past. Right, I love my in-laws, Al and Delana. They're fantastic. I'm sure there was a time that well, there's probably still time where they're a little bit critical of me as a as a son-in-law, but that's all right. But I think being overly critical can be impactful on us. There's people in our lives that are easily triggered that get angry that get super angry super quickly, and we got people in our lives that are just never satisfied that that it's never enough. And as I say this saying that, that we've got people in our lives, some of us, as I'm, as I'm describing these elements of characteristics, some of us can even point the finger at our own self and saying, this is us. Maybe we've gotten to the point where we've allowed the culture to speak in our lives and say that it's okay for us to be critical of everything around us. It's okay for us to be, be negative and think negatively about everything. It's okay for us to, to never be content. But I'm challenged with the words that Paul wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2. It says this. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. That means you're going to be different. That means that we're supposed to be different than the culture that's around us. It says, but let God transform you into a new person by doing what? Changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I want to know God's will for my life. I know that part of it starts out with saying, okay, no matter what culture says my attitude should be, no matter what culture says is acceptable, the first and foremost thing I need to do if I want to win a life is I need to come to God and say, God, adjust me. God, change my way of thinking. Allow things in my life to upset what is norm so that I can see the path that you would have for me when it comes to my attitude. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 to 5. And he's writing this from a position that is not where he's on vacation. This is not where he's winning at life. This is not a thing where he is, uh, the, that life is just easy breezy. When he writes this, we need to understand that he's writing this from a Roman prison where literally, because he was preaching the word, because he was upsetting what was culturally okay in those days, they put him into prison. So during this time, he writes this letter to a small church in Philippi. Philippians chapter two, verse two to five says this. It says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose don't be selfish don't try to impress others be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves don't look at only your own interests but take interest in others too and this is the key this is the key verse for today you must have the same attitude that Jesus had you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Man, if I got a prayer in life for for me, I think you should be praying it too, is that God would adjust us to the point that we would have the same attitude as what Jesus had. When he lived on this earth, when he ministered for those amount of years that he did, that we would have that type of attitude. I feel like the problem that we have, though, is when we read uh, about Jesus, or, or and when we've watched videos or when the Sunday school teacher or the pastor has told us about Jesus, what Jesus has done, we, we have this false sense of who Jesus was, where we think Jesus was this meek, soft-spoken, go-with-the-flow kind of guy. We, we highlight the, the humility that Jesus had. But one thing that you've got to know is that although Jesus was humble and humble he was from humble beginnings, born in a manger to a carpenter. Although he was humble, don't get me wrong, Jesus was confident. Jesus understood very clearly where he came from, what his purpose was and what he was going to do. And so when we see Jesus, when we look at life through the lens of Jesus, what we should be seeing is this perfect balance between humility and confidence. And I think sometimes when we, when we start to lose at life, the, the reason we're doing it is because we, we unbalance those things. We get to a point where we, we weigh heavily on the side of humility of, woe is me. I can't ever do anything right. Everything's just falling down on me. I, can, I can't get enough money. I can't, I can't do the right things. My life is just falling apart. We stick in that. And we forget the God that we serve. We forget what God's capable of doing even in the midst of our mess. I think one of the things that we got to understand when it comes to winning a life, we've got to adjust our attitude to get to the point where humility and confidence are balanced equally. The flip side of that coin, there's times in life in which we, humility doesn't even have a place in our life. We get so excited about what we've been doing or the success we've been seeing. Or we get this false sense of confidence and we just go out and we become this, these aggro people that just on to take on the world. Next thing you know, we're on YouTube down at the boat ramp doing things we shouldn't be doing. Yelling at people on the side of the, I, I'm, gonna t- I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I almost stepped into this my own self this past week. Can I just confess some sin to you here, here later on? Or maybe this wasn't sin. This was not a proud moment of the pastor, though. Friday night, I decided I was going to go out fishing, do some dock light fishing. If you ever want to do dock light fishing, don't go on a Friday night in New Smyrna Beach. There's 500 boats out there. So here, and a buddy, another guy in the church, go. We, we're going to go pull up on this dock light, and here's some nav lights coming down the way. They go in the same direction as, as what the pastor's going in. As so I go and I stop, I'm stopping on the thing. Guess where this guy stops? Same place. We're within three feet of each other. I'm like, I'm staying here. I'm not moving. I'm not doing it. The guy I'm with is like super nervous because it's like past- pastor's not supposed to get aggro. It's a little too much confidence for the pastor. Finally, I did the right thing. We, we peeled off. I just let the guy have it. It's easy for us as humans to get so wrapped up and so overly confident that we fall out of balance and it's easy for us to start to lose that life because we're not taking on the same attitude of Jesus. My prayer for me today, my prayer for us today is that we would, to win a life, that we would adopt the attitude that Jesus had and how we saw him do life. Perfect balance of humility and confidence coming together, living out the purpose that God has called us to. Jesus did a great job of uh, uh, telling stories when he was alive. One of the things that uh, I'm, I am confident on, that if Jesus were alive today, I don't know if, if verbal communicator would have been his thing as much as it would have been like maybe writing, like making movies. Because even the stories he told, the people were so, like they, they, they would grasp onto it and understand it because he used... Uh, he did a fantastic job communicating a point through a story. These stories we've uh, come to call parables. There's many parables throughout the story. These are, these are stories that aren't, aren't true. Th- these are stories that maybe did not happen, but that Jesus used to communicate a point. And he uses one of these times to communicate a story to the people around him, to the disciples, to, to, to impress a number of lessons on them. But one of them that I that I pulled out this week as I was reading it was the importance of our attitude, the power of our attitude. In Luke chapter fifteen, verse starting in verse eleven, we're going to be on the back end of verse eleven. By the way, I'm going to stop real quick and uh, use this time to tell you uh, if you haven't downloaded the Bible app yet, uh, it's incredibly packed, impactful. Use it. Uh, you can actually go to the live button or the events button and find our service, and it will show you the exact scriptures that I'm reading in the order that I'm reading it. If I've got any other notes in there, it'll be in there as well, so you can check it out there. If you haven't downloaded it yet, that's okay. You can also find it on the Church Center app. I think there's a Bible button or a notes button that you can tap on. That's also for people tuning in online, not just for the people here in the room. But Jesus uh, communicates a story in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 he says this. He says a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, "I want, I want my share of the estate now, before you die." If you've been around coastline, you've probably heard me talk about this story before. It's the story of the prodigal son. The reason why I stop at that first part because in our culture today, this what is happening is not as impactful as what it would have been for. Uh, Jewish culture of that time. See, when it came to Jewish culture in that time, there's a very specific th- way that things went. When it came to inheritance, you only received an inheritance after your father or your parents had passed away. And, and primarily, when it came to that inheritance, the majority of the inheritance would go to the firstborn son. Some people in today, they're like, oh, that's not fair. Well, that's how it was, so just stick with me. So we see that this son, he tells his father, he says, I wish I could have access to my inheritance now. Now, in today's culture, we would just think, like, maybe it's a son saying, like, man, I just, is there any way you can, I want to go do my own thing. It's all right. But that's not how it would have been in this culture that's referring to. See, when Jesus is communicating this, he understands this would have been a shocking statement. This would have been shocking to anyone that would have heard it because they would have known that a younger son, any son does not go to his father and says, I wish I could just have my inheritance. Because what he's communicating is, I wish you were dead. I wish that you would just go ahead and die. Because I want what you have. Now I don't know about you, if my son ever came to me and said that, after wielding a flip-flop on his hind end. For, I'm just kidding. We would say this young man has a serious attitude problem. Would we not? Your son comes to tell you, It says, I wish you were dead. You'd be saying, this, there's, there's an attitude problem that's going on here, right? It doesn't stop here, though. Jesus continues on the story. Uh, he says, so the father agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, as much as the first statement would have shocked the people that were listening to Jesus at that time, this statement would have also shocked him as well, because the way the father responds is completely countercultural to that time. But what Jesus is doing, he's communicating the heart of God to his people. And so in this, in this story, what we should be doing is replacing ourselves with the son And replacing the father with God himself. And so God, the loving father that he is, tells the son, he says, what you want to do, that's what we're going to do. So he splits it up and he gives the the portion to the youngest son and holds the other portion for the older son. In verse 13 it says this, says a few days later, this young son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. I'm reminded that in this moment, though, the younger son, he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. I think the same thing happens to us. Sometimes we get to a point where where our life is so heavy on one end, whether it's humility or whether it's confidence, that, that we get blinded to the fact that we are in the wrong. I don't know if anyone actually goes purposely to do bad things, thinking they're bad things. They just think that's what's good for them. Sometimes we got to stop and we got to say, Jesus, what what do you want me to do? Jesus, show me if if I've erred in some way. Continuing on, it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 14, this is about the time his money ran out, A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to field his pigs. The young man became super hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Here's the good thing is I I think that sometimes... When we get off course like this, when we get to a point where we get so heavy one way or the other, when we get to a point where, where we're living just the life that we selfishly want, we're pursuing the things that we think what's best, God, the gentleman that he is, doesn't, doesn't force our hand. He doesn't, he doesn't force bad things upon us. He lets us do what we want to do because he's given us free will. I found in my own life that as I continue on that free will journey, though, that I start to feel very clearly when I'm off track. Because when it comes to to living outside of the blessing of God, when it comes to, 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 to losing at life, my gauge is incredibly sensitive to that. I'm reminded that that when it comes to these things, when things aren't working out, the first thing I say before I do anything else, before I question my own self, I stop and I say, God, is this where I'm supposed to be? God, is my attitude wrong in this? God, am I feeling, am I seeing something I shouldn't be seeing? Adjust me. Step in and, and help me in this. I don't, I don't want to lose it. life. I want to live a life that continues to pursue him. I want to live a life that's balanced. Pursuing the attitude of Jesus. But it means i got to stop and say, Jesus, come, come show me what I'm doing wrong. Show me the things I need to adjust. Luke chapter 15 through 17, it says this. It says, when he finally came to his senses. I want to stop there. It says, when he finally, there came to a point in which he understood that he was wrong. And what he was doing, he was wrong. We live in a world today where when it comes to feeling anything but happiness or joy or, 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 or fulfillment, we, we, sh- we push everything off to the side and we say, no, no, no I don't, I don't want to deal with that. But sometimes it's good for us to feel the pressures of life. For Sometimes it's good for us to, to understand, to look at the scoreboard and see, wh- why are we losing right now? Why am I losing? Because maybe that thing is an identifier. It's a gauge. It's, a, it's, a, it's an alarm going off saying, hey, maybe you're unbalanced. Maybe you're off track. And maybe it's time to make an attitude adjustment. Maybe there's, it's time to, to fix the position that you're following, to look at things through a different lens says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food. But here I'm dying of hunger. In verse 18, he goes on, he says, he has this idea, he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no, no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I had something funny happen this uh, this morning. Well, didn't start off funny, but this morning as the Nichols family was getting ready. I don't know about you guys, but like when I get ready for church, when our family's getting ready for church... It's not always just peace and songbirds and a good time. If you guys are having a good time getting ready for church, then I'm doing it wrong and I need to take some lessons. But sometimes it's like an outright battle or war, right? Well, this past week or yesterday or at some point, my mother-in-law took my kids to some place and they came back with these giant bouncy balls, right? And we live in an about 1,100-square-foot apartment building, Two giant bouncy balls in a tiny little place—they don't always work out well. And so, as I'm in the shower, all of a sudden I hear a great crash. And rather than thinking it was the second coming of Jesus, I thought I was like something just broke. Sure enough, I go out in the living room and the ceiling fan is missing a one of the fan pedal things. You call what do you call that blade? And it's nowhere to be found. Magically disappeared. Olivia's, Olivia's in her room crying, don't know what from, got no idea. At some point, my kids think, like, well, maybe we can hide it. Maybe, maybe, we don't, maybe we don't have to talk about it. Maybe he won't see what happens. You guys ever try to run a fan with one blade on it? Yeah, you have. That's why you're laughing. You know what it looks like. what they expected was anger and frustration and payment that's not what they got it's not it's not because I'm a good dad but that's that's not the heart I had when they're in trouble and i think sometimes we feel the same way when it comes to our heavenly father we feel like when we're losing our life when we've messed up we think man we're going to have to go back and we're going to have to pay a price we're going to have to go back and we're gonna to have to own up what we did. We're gonna to have to go back, and and maybe just maybe maybe we can just take a lower, a lower rung. But that's not how that's not how God works. Because God, He's already, He's already paid the price. Jesus paid the price for our mess ups, for our sin, and for our shame. And when it comes to us understanding that maybe our attitude's been wrong, when it comes to us coming back to him, he wants us to come back to him and say, hey, I need to make an adjustment. He wants to help us with it. He said, so he returned home to his father. and says, while he was still a long way off. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and he embraced him. In this day, the master of the house would have never run. The master would have servants to run. The masters would have other people that worked for him that they would run after things. But no, here the father, the master, the one that owns the land, that owns everything in it, he runs to the son. It says he embraced him and he kissed him. He said, the son said to him, he said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." But his father said to the servant, he said, "'Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf We've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the Son of Mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. The part that is so beautiful about this story is the Father doesn't say, You learned your lesson. The Father doesn't say, I guess I was right, was I? The father doesn't say, hey, let me, let me put together the plan for where maybe you can ha- be in, in our household now. No, it says he runs to him and he embraces him and he, he lavishes him with a robe and with a ring. That robe would have been protection. The sandals would have been protection for his feet. The ring would have been identifying him as a son. He's reminding him who your family is. So for you today, as we hear the story of a young man who had an attitude problem, at some point he understood that that his attitude was wrong on life, and as he came back to make amends, as he came back to make it right, he saw clearly that the father, in the midst of the attitude change of the son, the father never changed. The father doesn't change. The Father still wants to see the Son win at life. And that's the same thing what God wants for you. Today you might find yourself unbalanced. Maybe you feel like when it comes to life, you're you're on the losing end. I want want to challenge you today that attitude is everything. And you have an opportunity this morning, you have an opportunity this week to do things differently, Tell all Jesus to come in, And to make the adjustment if you'll let him he's not going to force his hand he's just giving you an opportunity i want to challenge you to take it as someone who's been there myself who lost at life today man i live in the blessing of god today i i understand and i see how god continues to protect me and teach me along the way. It's because at some point I said, God, whatever you want to happen, adjust me the way you want it. It was the best decision I ever made. So today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and, and maybe you've never made that decision before, maybe you never prayed a prayer to follow Jesus, Maybe you've been on the fence. Today I want to tell you you've got an opportunity to take the next step to him. And he doesn't want you to go through a a five-step plan. He doesn't want you to have to work for it. He's just looking for you to come home. If you're here today and you want to take a step towards him, if you want to step into a relationship with Jesus, if you want God to come in and adjust your attitude the the way that he only knows how to do, as a sign of surrender to him, I just want you to put your hand up and put it right back down. And it's not for me. This is just between you and him. You're saying, Jesus, you know the step I need to make in my life. You know the thing I, that I need to release, the thing that I need to surrender to you. If you raise your hand, if you want to take this step, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Maybe you repeat it to yourself. Maybe you've prayed this prayer before, and that's okay pray it again. It matters where it comes from the most. If it comes from here, and if it's genuine. It goes something like this. Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need you as a Savior. I believe that you died on the cross. You rose from the grave to pay the price for my sins and my shame. Right now, Jesus, I declare that you, are Lord, come into my life, take over. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Coastline, before we leave here this morning, I want to pray for you. Jesus, you know the status and and where our attitudes are right now. God, you know the areas where we've uh, became aggravated easily, the things that have angered us, uh, the things that give us a short fuse. You, understand, you know exactly the areas in life in which we are extremely critical of those that are around us. You know the areas of life in which we say things just aren't good enough. I pray that you would come in. God, I pray you come in as the good Father you are, and that you would teach us and you would help us. And you would adjust our attitudes, that you would allow us to see the things that we've done wrong or things that we have wrong. that as we align ourselves with you that you would set us to a point in life in which as we pursue you and your purpose that you've called us to we would be able to win that we would not go through life feeling like we've lost or that we're on the losing end God we already know the score at the end of the game the score says that you're going to win and so Father as we pursue you as we identify as followers of your Son we say, come in, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. As always, Coastline, know that you are loved and that the best is yet to come.